Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. This is RU Fan Jerry, and welcome to another edition of the Bar Big Show, a weekly podcast where we talk Rutgers football and we talk Big Ten football. And I'm here on a special edition of the Our Big Show, is National Signing Day Recap. As yesterday, Wednesday, February 4th, was the National Signing Day across the country for college football players where they signed the national letters and tents uh, to the colleges that they will be attending and culminating for many a process that is years in the making uh, in terms of both uh, improving and developing as a football player, but of course also the recruiting process and, and finally ending up uh, in the schools of the choice. Of course, here we are looking out and looking after the Rutgers class. Uh, the Scarlet Knights had a 25-member class, which uh, uh, for most intents and purposes was a, a, a non-eventful day. And I think uh, for those who follow uh, the National Signing Days, a non-eventful day is usually a good thing um, for the most part. Um, there was no surprises with the Rutgers class. Uh, the one player who had some suspense uh, on National Signing Day itself, uh, defensive back from Florida, Jarius Adams, who uh, had been committed to the Scarlet Knights since June or July in the summer uh, and took some late interest, uh, including a visit from Jim Harbaugh, a recent coach of Michigan, uh, and had some late offers with Michigan and Wisconsin uh, in the end. Adams chose uh, to stay in, uh, with the Scarlet Knights. So uh, that was pretty much it uh, in terms of the suspense and, and any kind of drama that you sometimes see at some of the other schools. So a a, a week where the Scarlet Knights uh, class kind of came together over the last uh, week and week and a half. Uh, of course, uh, some of the key names that, that brought themselves aboard – uh, Marquise Ford, the defensive lineman who uh, had a little drama with his recruitment, ending up uh, a, a commit to Tennessee, a four-star player, ending up at Rutgers, and, and then just kind of continuing a good vibe uh, that has uh, been going forth since the end of the season. I point back to the win versus Maryland, uh, then followed by the dominating win against North Carolina, uh, that this past week, uh, you know, with, of course, Ford, uh, they also got a commitment from the Judah College player, Isaiah Johnson, uh, the transfer of a graduate transfer, Kawan Lewis, a linebacker who immediately will compete for the middle linebacker spot. And Scarlet Knights have done well in their, uh, I don't want to say recruitment, but in the signing of graduate players over the last couple of years. R.J. Dill uh, came in on the offensive line, of course, last year, uh, the wide receiver Terzilli, and, and the previous year before that, we was told at the cornerback. So, um, you know, we'll see how that turns out. But, uh, you know, again, sticking with the theme of, of late signings of the class, Nigel Clayton, defensive back for now, Paramus Catholic, and uh, he, he, he Late pickup of Jack Shutak, a offensive lineman uh, who, by all intents and purposes, was leaning towards or, or trying to 
uh, you know, go into Tennessee. Um, maybe didn't work out in terms of what he wanted, but he's a big player and he ended up on the Scarlet Knights. And um, most importantly, I think also in terms of the class, you, you know, none of the coaching that went on towards the end of the year. We mentioned Adams, but there was other players to uh, Kamal Seymour, uh, who got a late uh, push from Penn State and, and stuck with his commitment, not even making the visit out to Penn State. So all in all, a, a nice finish to a class, uh, um, you know, that, you know, we always talk about the rankings and the listings, and but, you know, the Big Ten, obviously very top-heavy with Ohio State. Penn State, no doubt, had a good class this year, uh, probably the second-best class in, in the Big Ten. Um, Michigan State, Nebraska, Wisconsin, those programs are still recruiting at another level, uh, obviously, that the Scarlet Knights are going to aspire to. But the next group of schools, you know, Illinois and Michigan, Indiana, Rutgers, Minnesota, Maryland, kind of in that same area, depending on what type of rankings we're looking at. But uh, yeah, I do want to step away this show to, and kind of take a second to, you know, we have all off season to discuss a lot about uh, both the 2015 class and then the very important 2016 class and, and just appreciate, you know, these student athletes who have an opportunity to play college football and, and as I mentioned earlier, realize a dream and, and just the process that goes into it and, and how on signing day that must be a special moment for both the player and the family and, and everyone else who's involved and the sacrifice that it takes to, to become a college football. So I have a special uh, kind of segment today where I, I'm able to uh, uh, get a parent of a player who went through the process, and we're going to chat a little bit about some of the questions that I have from the perspective of a player and a family. And I think that's just a great thing uh, to to hear. And, and it doesn't matter where players commit to, just, you know, it's a special day, National Signing Day. Then later on in the show, we will welcome Sean Brown from Rivals from ScholarNation.com, as well as Bobby Darren will come on and talk a little bit specifically about uh, this class and, um, you know, also, again, talk a little bit about the process that goes. I think, you know, people, especially ScholarNation fans who are new to paying so much attention to the recruiting process, you know, uh, you know, be intrigued to hear how uh, – the process is not just you go out, play a season, sign a bunch of players, and go. It's, it starts so far ahead. And, for instance, you know, right now, 2015 is done. The books are signed, and you're moving right into 2016. So we'll have Sean on and, and Bobby to touch a little bit of, of base on that. So uh, my first guest tonight, like I said, I'm actually um, pretty uh, excited to have on the show uh, Sam Blue Sr., who is the father of Sam Blue. That's the linebacker who came up from North Carolina last season to join Rutgers. And uh, I want to welcome uh, Mr. Blue on to the show. Thanks for coming on. Oh, how's it going? Very good, very good. I appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on to the show. We, uh, you know, come on, talk Rutgers football. Of course, this time of the year, it's, you know, recruiting. I mean, college football is great because it's it's a year-round sport. You're talking it goes straight from the season to recruiting, you know, then the bowl, you know, obviously bowl season and straight into spring. So it's it's always a pleasure uh, to talk. Now, I wanted to bring a little bit of attention to, you know, as I said, the process and 
and just what it means from a player and his family national signing day when when a player you know such as as your son when they finally reach that day where they're signing on the dotted line and committing to a college mm-hmm. football team. Oh yes, well it, it's definitely. So you, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you you uh, I guess you're in your situation. Just talking a little bit about Sam, North Carolina player. Um, signed in the 2014 class, which was last year. So basically, last year you were in the situation of, of going. So now you have a year to step back. Um, can you walk us through, like, uh, you know, National Signing Day, how it was for you? Uh, National Signing Day was pretty. Uh, it, it was a pretty much a regular school day. Um, I just met him up at the school, and we met with the coaches and uh, one of his counselors. And he pretty much signed right next to the fax, uh, took a photo with the coach, and we sat down. And the signing ceremony was about uh, eight or nine days later, almost two weeks later. And is that an event that you did uh, at the school or or something with the family? Uh, We did it at the school. Um, One of his teammates was signing with another school, so... They were his whole team was pretty close, so they wanted to do it together. So a lot of his family was flying from out of state, so that's why it was pushed so far after the actual signing day. Now, in terms of uh, your experience, uh, you know, obviously, as you said, it's pretty much a, a regular date. I mean, your decision, you know, probably was made already as as you reach that day. I mean, uh, it's not like you know, it's a, it's a decision that it's made right on the spot. Um, so you already had gone through this process. And, and how long in total did the whole recruiting process take in terms of, of when did he start getting looks, uh, you know, sophomore year, or uh, and when did really this start getting intense? Well, honestly, uh, we really didn't uh, – he made a transition kind of like uh, Ture. He was a basketball player. And he, yeah, he played uh, football, track, basketball all throughout middle school and high school, but his primary goal was basketball. And going into his junior year, he was planning on going to college either for a basketball scholarship or academic scholarship. And uh, that was the first year he moved to defense from being a tight end wide receiver. And um, he really enjoyed it, and he felt that was his passion. And he, as uh, soon as that junior year was over, he uh, we sat down and he said he wanted to go to college for football. So the actual process began at that point because we hadn't gone to any camps, combines. Uh, we hadn't done anything prior to that. So we were, we were behind where a lot of these uh, kids grow up you know, thinking they're playing college football. So we we yeah, actually got started late. So you mentioned also the academic portion. And, uh, you, you know, it, I know uh, Sam in high school had a very high GPA, over 3.7. Yes. What was it that attracted you uh, to Rutgers and, and maybe give us a little bit of feedback of when you first met the coaches and what your first uh, experience was? Well, uh when uh, 
Coach Browning and some of the other staff began contacting him. Uh, he spoke to me, and I had a friend that his daughter had just taken a visit to Rutgers. And, um, you know, he was telling me all about it, and he actually told me his his son had also did a visit with Rutgers, a guy named James Sutherland. And, um, you know, his dad and I are really close. And he filled me in on, you know, he told me how amazing the area is. There's nothing like the Jersey Shore, which we thought it was. And, uh, you know, he he said it was really, uh, really a nice township. Um, And, you know, we talked more with our son. And then um, Coach uh, Pentagos came down, did a home visit. And what we thought was going to be about an hour turned into about five hours. So that's great. So it didn't sound like you uh, get on. That's pretty funny, though, about the Jersey Shore. I mean, that's a conversation we could have uh, for a long time about the various perceptions uh, of New Jersey and some of the things that actually, you know, believe it or not, come into play. Now, in, when you, uh, in terms of, being an out-of-state player, and, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think there's uh, any other North Carolina players on the roster. Um, how did he no, feel as far as fitting? How did he feel as far as uh, fitting in with the other players? Well, he, um, you know, we did talk about that. Um, me and my wife, we spoke to him about it, and mainly the way he feels is football. As long as they had a passion for football, they had some type of mutual ground where they had a connection. And uh, as far as him now, going away, it, it wasn't it wasn't that much of an issue because he um, prior to signing day he did get a, a you know some offers at the end from some of the local schools, but he was pretty much set that he wanted to play for uh, Coach Pentagon. He felt he would teach him the most uh, to be the best that he could be on the field. So he was the the education that the school offered uh, really impressed us on the official visit, um, where he had teammates that had gone to other schools and they only went over education for like ten fifteen minutes. Where we were at Rutgers, they had his whole transcript laid out, his whole schedule, the counselors. I mean, it, it was really impressive on. Uh, the way they look at life after football. And that's what really, um, I think, hooked him. That's a great point. I mean, I think those are, the fans are very aware of, of the the results that they've done in terms of, of the academic progress report and they consistently uh, uh, finished there. And, and, and just as you said, something that was put together from Coach Chiano when he started the program was building a, a foundation uh, in terms of, of of giving support and academic support for the players, and and as you mentioned, it's something that not you could tell it's not just something that is just talked about just just to go on. So, um, you know, that's a great thing. Now, you mentioned, of course, the relationship with Coach Panagos, and and that's an interesting thing for for me and for listeners. And how much does the the relationship uh, of your position coach and the actual coach uh, that you're going to be playing for? matter even more than, let's say, like even the head coach or, or you know, the specific school? Well, the way we, we look at it is uh, the only time once the recruitment process is over, we pretty much knew from uh, 
you know, some family members and cousins that anytime you do meet the coach, the head coach, 80% of the time it's going to be because you're in trouble. So the most interaction is going to be with your position coach, uh, defensive coordinator, and that was really important to us that he bonded with his position coach. And um, that that's mainly it. We, um, you know, we did our research on the, the program and uh, the questions that uh, Coach Pentagos asked us when he came you know, he addressed some concerns about uh, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, uh, you know, certain questions, you know, what kind of defense are we going to be playing in, what kind of offense, what, you know, just where the program was going. And it was pretty um, – I mean, he did an amazing job uh, during the home visit. It, it seemed natural, but, you know, of course he's there to recruit. Right. So now, um, of course, uh, now with Rutgers being in the Big Ten, most of their road games are, are you know, out in the Midwest. Uh, they did play North Carolina, but unfortunately not in uh, North Carolina this year. Um, have you been able to get up uh, to many games uh, uh, during that first uh, this first past season? Oh, yes, just about all the home games uh, we went. Uh, we were able to um, – you know, have some relatives. It's a one-hour flight from here to Trenton. So we, we flew up there quite a bit, even when there wasn't a game. We came up a couple times. But um, we definitely plan on this year going. Um, I'm actually from the Midwest, from Detroit. So, um, you know, the bowl game was a chance for him to see a lot of his family members he hadn't seen since he was 9 or 10 years old. So they got to oh, great. really hang out. Yes. It must have been a great experience then for you to get back out there and see a game in Ford Field. Well, unfortunately, uh, me and my wife, we weren't able to go because uh, she she had just gotten out the hospital, so she didn't get cleared to fly. So um, it was a little uh, sour. You know, she did say that I could go up there, but <laughs> how would it look with me being at home <laughs> during Christmas and – you know, her at home alone. So we we pretty much said we know they're going to go to four more bowl games. Um, we we feel that the program is is gaining that much momentum and strength. So we we're pretty sure we'll be at four more games for a bowl. Definitely. I mean, it, it's a it's a great experience. I would say for people who who go and you know one of the great things about going um, to the games is it, it just kind of you know the, the bowl games in particular is. You know, you see the players' families, and you see it, and, and and you just have that feel, a family feel that that you know. I just, I think it's just hard to emulate in in other sports or even other you know. But when you bring in professional sports now, uh, obviously you you mentioned the good vibes you have about the the program. Um, you know, Rutgers' recent class. Uh, you know, again, exposure in the Big Ten is allowing to bring in some players from Florida, yeah. uh, you know, which has always been a pipeline, you know, Maryland, uh, you know, guys. And, and you know, I don't know how much time you spend in New Jersey, but, you know, one of the biggest things is, is kind of still convincing some of the top players in New Jersey, and, and New Jersey is a pretty talented uh, state. Um, you know, what do you think are some of the things that uh, will help uh, going forward in, in, in convincing the New Jersey players to stay home? 
Um, honestly, I don't think I don't think it's so much up to uh I don't think it's so much as convincing. Um it every every athlete has their own goals on what they want to do. And in the end, you know, it's their future. That's how we look at it. And you know, some of the coaches that called us prior to signing day after uh, he had committed to Rutgers, um, they came and they said, well, you know, he 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 was real popular in high school here. Everybody knows him. And if he plays here at, at Carolina, they will really love him, um, you know, even more because he's from the area. But he wanted to um, – the Big Ten really um, – the Big Ten, with Rutgers making that transition to the Big Ten, he felt that he was going to be a part of something very special, and we, we've we witnessed that already in this first season. We, no, we feel it's something very special. But now, you know, I guess in terms of, uh, the, you know, those – now, he, uh, he redshirted this season, is that right? Yes, he did. So, you know – it's, it's, I'm always been curious for I guess a player, you know, it's, it's obviously, and and a lot of people talk about Michigan State as a program who almost typically redshirts as many players as they can. Um, what do you, what do you think are some of the benefits that he had of, of taking this year, of both adjusting to college life and adjusting to you know the game itself and his teammates, uh, you know, as he heads into this next uh, season? Well, I think it helped him a lot because. Uh, a lot of times he went up against the, the starting offense, um, you know, I would assume on the practice squad, the scout team. So he did get a lot of experience, and every coach has always said he's had a high uh, learning curve. Um, you know, he picks up plays. He, he reads very well. And um, that's one of the reasons also that, uh, you know, he really wanted to play under uh, Coach Turnagos because um, he saw his passion, attention to detail. Uh, when we were in his office, he went over some film and broke it down to a way that, uh, you know, really uh, Sam really grasped uh, what the the vision of, of Rutgers going forward as far as defense was going to be. And um, that's something very special that I, I think most athletes, if they talk to uh, Coach Pentagos, that – they're gonna they're gonna want to play for him, but as far yeah, as the uh, yeah, as far as the kids leaving out of state, some kids you know they grew up in the area so long. Sometimes they want something different. So no matter what, there's nothing that you can do to keep them home. They want to get away from home, you know. So they want to kind of I guess do like how LeBron James did with Cleveland when he went to Miami. He told everybody it was kind of like him going to college, and now he's home. And some of these athletes may be that same way, but, you know, a lot of times they may have, uh, you, you know, recruiting methods. Uh, you know, I, I think the program, this, this signing class is is amazing. Um, I know a lot of people tried to, um, or a lot of people I, I read said a lot of things about uh, Coach Flood because of all the decommitments and things last year. But if you look at it, most kids or most programs that lose a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator, they get a lot of decommitments. It's nothing to do with the head coach. They just 
don't know who they're going to be playing for. So yeah. I just uh, I, I I look at this year as being the very bottom uh, of the Big Ten for Rutgers and winning eight games in the first year. That that's not a bad bottom for anybody. No, it's a great point, and and I think definitely you brought up something that I'm definitely going to talk about a little bit with the guys later about uh, just the the process of of you know this class and and still the learning curve and and dealing with not the, the fallout of the the decommitments from last class and how early the process is affected that you know it it took a, a little bit of a year to get it back rolling and I think the momentum is going. Now I have one more question I guess for you because uh, I'm always you know uh, curious about learning a little bit more about you know the program itself and uh, you know now this time of the year uh, the guys are obviously not playing um, you know you're getting ready for spring. This must be pretty intense uh, training in terms of, of what they do with their strength training in the off season. And I think, from what I understand, you are also in the business of, of uh, speed and agility training. If that's correct, so can you get, yeah. kind of walk us through like what a typical day is, you know, for this for the football players, obviously with school and you know how much are they working out at this time of the year? Well, they um, they're working out quite a bit and. I think so much of the habits. I know when Sam flew here on the 27th, that Saturday, you know, we were in the gym. Uh, we were going through some training, some Vertimax stuff the very next day, and then even on New Year's Eve, we, we were in the gym. So he really enjoys the uh, – he's always enjoyed working out. So I know all throughout the day they're getting up um, – you know, working out breakfast and classes, then they're coming out meetings. I mean, it's full blown. And uh, one thing, you know, being a family here, we realized that, you know, he just got home on the 27th of December. But yet, when he went back to school on the 18th, 19th, workouts commenced the next day. So they really, at, at, at Rutgers, really, you're only out of football if you go to a bowl game for about a month, you know, while, while you're right. home. So so it's definitely intense. And I think uh, I think where the program is going is definitely, um, like I said, I only see, uh, you know, nine, ten wins this year coming, more the following year. Um, because I think what Coach Flood is, uh, you know, have going on with his staff, every recruit that has signed with Rutgers this year, all I heard them talking about was family. Right, right. That's definitely a, a big selling point with the program. Well, Sam, I, I really appreciate you coming on to the program, you know, as a parent. I, you know, obviously I'd be, you know, so proud of, you know, uh, you know, looking back at last year and looking, you know, being part of the program, and it sounds like, you know, you definitely uh, are happy with the decision you make, and, and I'm glad you were able to give us a little bit of, of uh, insight, uh, you know, as, as someone with uh, so much personal knowledge. No, I really appreciate uh, you having me, and, you know, I'm looking forward to uh, the second year in the Big Ten and then doing more, you know, more amazing things on the field. Definitely, definitely appreciate it. Well, Sam, thanks again uh, for coming on the show, and uh, uh, definitely uh, look out and uh, you know, get you maybe back on the show in the future. 
I appreciate that. Thank you. Y'all have a good evening. All right. Thank you. That's actually a, a pretty, uh, a, a very good segment. I'm very glad I was able to get him on and, uh, you know, again, being able to talk to a parent of a player and, and, and see some of the thought process that goes into, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, Coach Patton goes and, and that relationship that's built. And, and recruiting is so much uh, a relationship business. So, um, you know, one thing we just talked a little bit about the we always on the show talk about perception and Rutgers is always working in perception. And, you know, I think um, first things first, when they got into the Big Ten, many people obviously were expecting, well, yeah, they're going to go four and eight, they're going to go five and seven and this. Um, and, and we know what happened last season during the season in that one season where they were in the AAC, not the best conference obviously in the world. Um, there were some bad games in terms of, of results and, class of 2014 that was at one time actually very highly ranked. Uh, we know the story, fell apart, lots and lots of decommitments, and uh, kind of not the best vibes going into the 2015 season. Uh, and the Scarlet Knights kind of on the field talked to themselves, and finishing 8-5 and five was, was something very positive. And, uh, but I think some people still need to kind of learn about the process of recruiting, and you know, you look at the paper and you look at now, you know, you'll be reading on the Internet. There's so much information out there, different rankings, different ratings, and while well, Rutgers is ranked, uh, you know, 10th in the big, you know, or, uh, you know, when it gets in his 8-5, and five, how come they didn't, you know, do much better? But to understand the process that so many of the players who committed to some of the other schools, particularly the New Jersey players, have already made their commitments before the season even started. So it's a process that takes for some of these players – a two-year process in terms of the recruiting. And right now, we'll talk about that later, but, you know, the, the 2016 class, these players, some of them are ready to make their decisions now before the season has even started. So you have to do well in this time of the year, plus a school like Rutgers still has to perform well in the field to keep these players because if they struggle, they're going to be getting hit from all different angles. So it's a very interesting process in terms of, of recruiting. But first – we want to be able to move on to the second part of the show uh, where we'll start to talk specifically about uh, this class. Uh, Bobby and Sean, I want to welcome you both on to the show. Welcome back. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. How's it going, guys? Bobby, good, I'll start good. with you. You guys, you know, I know this has got to be, you know, I talked about it last week. This is like Super Bowl for you guys. I mean, this this week in terms of recruiting, like this is, you know, the most exciting time and, and it culminates a long journey for many of these players, but there's names that you've probably been hearing and following for three years or, or more sometimes, and, you know, here they sign on the dotted line, whether it be at Rutgers or somewhere else. Well, you know, uh, it's different, uh, Jer. Now that the signing day is – it's kind of not as as big because you have so many – players committing earlier in the year. Um, sometimes it's just a formality. This year there was a little more action with Rutgers with some late guys. But, you know, it, it's definitely changed over the last five years. And you had mentioned about it playing a significant role for the following season. Um, you know, 2016 kids are looking at signing day because, they, you're right, they are deciding earlier. Um, it's just changed. The scope of it has changed so much, you know, that, that these earlier commitments are coming earlier and earlier. You saw a couple weeks ago, you know, Rutgers was offering 2018 kids, and it seems so far beyond, but that's when it really has to start now because everything's just being pushed up. 
and and what and this is I guess a byproduct of, of the information out there. You know, here we are talking recruiting on a on a podcast and uh, you know just sites like Rivals and that have the information of. I always remember listening to an interview of Barry Switzer, who uh, this was back when schools had 105 scholarships, and he was like, I would recruit players just so they don't go to Oklahoma State, you know, and and kids probably didn't have that kind of knowledge of where, who else was being brought in. Now everybody knows, well, they got two cornerbacks, or, you know, they're bringing in a junior, you know, or, uh, you know, their 2017 position player, and, you know, you know exactly what are not only – team is recruiting you and who else they are recruiting yeah i mean everything's pretty much public knowledge uh you know everything you can't keep anything under wraps nowadays it seems you know with twitter and social media everything gets out there so quickly but people are still recruiting uh in a race like that like you'd mentioned they'll take someone you know barry switz would take someone to, to get them away from another school and stuff like that still goes on um it's just more publicized and, and coaches might have to say well i have an ulterior motive but they're still trying to to you know out recruit these schools and it's it's also emblematic of, of a case when a kid uh gets an offer and all of a sudden he gets five more offers you know um coaches will say well what's this you know we got to get in on this kid and I, I tell a lot of recruits you know who are waiting for that first offer a lot of time I said once that first one comes in you'll definitely see a wave of them and, and it always holds true um you know, not always I'm sorry but you know that that trend holds true uh, more more often than not yeah I think a great example was I mentioned earlier with Jerry's Adams and uh committed from the summer you know Jim Harbaugh flies down there, and then all of a sudden he gets an offer from Kansas, and uh, you know Wisconsin comes in, Ohio State visited, and, and you know like you said, it's uh, you know tremendous amount of, of sometimes pressure on these kids to make these uh, decisions. Now, um, quick question for you, for Sean. I mean, maybe you have the answer to this. In terms of the class, we just said you know not too much drama this year in in signing, but you know I look in the side, and, and there is one player that's interesting. Um, uh, Al Qadir Ports uh, is he still not signed yet, and, and what's the story with him? Uh, I don't know. I guess it's on me. Um, yeah, he's he's not signed as of tonight. Uh, you know, there there's still some work uh, to do on his end in the classroom. Uh, you know, and I guess you know from you know both parties involved, it was kind of you know agreement that. You know, they need to be, you know, at a point, at least from Rutgers' perspective, when they were, were comfortable in, you know, uh, sending a letter for him to sign and, and to make it binding. Uh, but that, and also, you know, there's a lot going on, a lot of miscommunication. Yesterday, also at WeQuick, uh, the school was closed for staff development as well. So, you know, he wasn't able to be in the school. You know, there's a, a lack of contact with the coach right now, hearing that uh, Coach Lowe was in the hospital as head coach, you know, so – there's a lot going on right now, and because the the dead period started back up, uh, you know, there's minimal contact between, you know, Ports and the Rutgers staff right now. Uh, but but what we're hearing is that, you know, there's some work to, that needs to be done uh, in the classroom, but, you know, he is still committed to Rutgers. You know, he's not looking at other schools right now to sign, you know, so there's a possibility that down the line it can happen, but, uh, you know, at least this week he's not going to be signing a letter of intent. Now you mentioned um, a dead period. Uh, is that for, I guess, any recruit, whether whatever year they may be, 2016, 2017, et cetera? 
Yeah, um, it's it's for everyone. I mean, just for you know, for the older guys, uh, 2016s for the juniors. Uh, it also applies to them. Uh, you know, for 2017, they really have uh, minimal contact with colleges. Uh, but for the guys that are seniors now and that are unsigned in 2016, you know, they are restricted by this dead period. Versus the guys who have signed the letters of intent, they are essentially members of the program, so they don't have that issue with the, the limited contact with the coaches. Right now, um, Bobby, back to you. I, I, you know, I look at you know, I know you have a spotlight that you wrote up on on almost all these players, and not all the players that uh, that, that signed with this class. Um, did you also have an opportunity to make any in person uh, announcements uh, or ceremony, you know, ceremonies at these schools? Now, not this year. You know, traditionally we've done that in the past and had somebody out at each one, but it's it's changed a little bit. And uh, basically it was just kind of, you know, in my office facilitating everything as it happened. I figured I could get more done by sitting in one place and getting information out as opposed to trying to be, you know, ten places at once. Plus, you know, a lot of the kids, we used to do it and go from place to place in Jersey, but, you know, a lot of the kids aren't from Jersey in this class and spread out all over. But I was in touch with the kids quite frequently over the, the, the course of the last couple of days. So, um, you know, it's just basically, you know, the, the, the ceremonies at the school, um, you know, some a little bit more grander than others. Um, but basically, you know, a chance for them to be with their families and, and have kind of like, you know, a moment of glory there. And, and uh, it really becomes real. That's what a lot of the guys told me afterwards. It is, you know, you can talk about it, but as soon as you sign – it's it's there's this official feeling about it and you know it, all of a sudden this is for real but not that it wasn't before but there's a sense of uh you know finality with it yeah, obviously you're in your interaction with these players and you you, you also probably uh, uh you know develop relationships the same way we were talking about with mr blue of our coaches and um, you get to know these these kids and uh you know i remember just uh you know on social media or just like last year uh, one player that always stuck out was Josh Hicks. I mean, very open about, you know, sticking to Rutgers. And, you know, next thing you know, you know, here he is at the end of the season, you know, breaking out. And, you know, he kind of felt good, like, hey, that was a player, uh, you know, that, that was, you know, being a leader of the class. Uh, you know, dealing with some of these players, um, who are some of the leaders, I guess, uh, you want to play, or guys that, were, you know, maybe rally around, um, you know, in terms of, of this 2015 class? Well, I guess the the obvious one would be Nikita Griffin, who's the most outspoken one of the bunch. Um, he's not made it a secret, um, you know, across social media, how his feelings are about this class and, and how underrated it is and how, you know, that they really have something special amongst them. Um, I think he's one of them, and, and I think Michael Dare is going to be one of them, too, because, um, you know, he, he kind of has that leadership quality that you would want a quarterback as well. And that's one of the intangibles that, that you know, Sean and I talk about in looking – at these different prospects and analyzing them and doing what we do. Um, that's one thing you have to look at, especially at the quarterback position. You know, a guy might be able to throw the ball 80 yards downfield, but, you know, what kind of leadership skills does he have because there's more to playing the position than just throwing the ball far. So um, those are two I think you can look for. There's some other guys in there as well, but I, but I think those are the first two that really come to mind initially. Now, you know, um, we always you know, talk about, they mentioned like the rankings and the ratings and, of course, the star system of of you know actually rating these players. Um, can you give a little bit of insight? I guess you know, don't go into the whole process, but 
you know, when you hear a player is a three-star or a four-star, uh, you know, how much of that is based on, you know, production or is based on also promise and measurables? I know you follow, you know, obviously you, you big into the NFL draft or, you know, is there, some of this supposed to be a prediction of where a player may end up? Or, you know, what is the right. some of the uh, measurables? You're doing similar things to the, what the NFL draft does. Um, but it, it's a little different in, in this respect because you're talking about 17-, 18-year-old kids who really aren't finished uh, maturing physically. So you kind of you have to kind of gauge where they're going to be in, you know, four, three, four, five years and, and how they're going to develop. But I think you have to look at everything as well because, you know, if, if a kid has some character issues or off-the-field problems, that might be indicative of his potential to succeed or fail at the college level. Um, you know, some of the star rankings are, are influenced by camp performances, and, 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 you know, they're a big thing now. And it's it's a good tool. I don't think that should be the bulk of the assessment because you don't really play football in shorts and a T-shirt. So uh, I, I always believe that, you know, seeing them in person, watching the games, that's the best way to tell because anybody can look at a four- or five-minute highlight reel and say, this kid does this great. But I always like to see what they do between those touchdown runs and between those sacks and how they hold themselves, how they handle themselves, how do they, you know, wind up getting pressure, how do they wind up breaking tackles, how do they wind up getting those big games. And so there's a lot that goes into it than just that three-minute highlight film. And when you go to these camps, like I said, it's a good chance to see them in person. You get to gauge how well they're developed. Um, you know, from a physical standpoint, but I don't think that's the end-all, be-all of how you should rate them. And a lot of times I think ratings are influenced by camp performances. And how about how much, uh, you know, you mentioned when a player's recruitment starts to, you know, say blow up, uh, you know, where other one school will say, well, they're looking at it, I'm going to look at it. How much do offers also come into play in, in the rankings? They also play in there. Um, you know, people say, oh, this this guy's got an offer from this school. You know, he's got to be a four-star. But I've seen cases where, you know, a kid will look like look the part as a sophomore and get some early offers, and then schools do their due diligence, and, you know, all those offers aren't committable after a while. He might list them as 20 offers, but he might have two committable ones. You know, uh, guys' stock rises and falls, you know, and offers are only committable contingent upon how many open spots a particular school has. So um, they, they definitely fluctuate and uh, yeah, definitely definitely change from time to time. And and but they are they will rank. They were not going to rank a kid a four star with just one offer. Uh, it's very rare. Um, you know the rating systems the way they have it is you know offers matter. Um, Bobby, I know you're a little short on time, so I, I'll give you you know two quick questions um, in, so you get your opinion on it. You know, looking at this class, of course, uh, you know. We always talk about sleepers, so I have to ask you, you know, do you have a sleeper? And, and then who, what player do you think may be that guy that could immediately push for time uh, in, in the next season? Well, the guy to push for time right away, I, I'm going to go with Marcus Ford right away. He's just, you know, next-level talent, guy who, who just, you know, clear-cut top-rated player in this class, guy that can, you know, get off the edge, quick, fast, athletic, I, I think he has a bright future. It's going to start immediately. And when you talk about sleepers, um, I think there's a few. Uh, you know, Juwan Harris, the first guy that comes to mind, but when I look at his tape, I don't see him as a two-star guy. And, you know, at the end of his recruitment, um, you know, he had 
Michigan State coming in on him really hard. So I, it, it, you could say he's a sleeper with the two-star, but by the detention he's getting, it's difficult to call him that. But, um, you know, I think a guy like um, uh, Rondell Carter is a definite sleeper. Um, you know, had some interest after he committed, has some position versatility, um, can play offense or defense. I think he's got a great future tight end if they decide to move him there. So uh, that's one. Isaiah Johnson I would call a sleeper. He's a two-star linebacker from San Francisco City College, junior college transfer, who didn't play his first year at junior college and then just just came onto the scene and exploded last year. You, you watch him play and, and you know, really – talented kid and he's going to compete for that middle linebacker job with Kawan Lewis uh, I could see him winning the job actually even though Lewis has starting experience in the SEC I was that impressed with Johnson so I, I would call him one of the big sleepers in this class all right so I got you on the roll so I'll get one more out of you in terms of size uh, you know obviously you know we talk about Rutgers you know doing well in terms of their record going eight and five um, you know but Obviously, the games against Ohio State, Michigan State, Wisconsin, uh, you know, were, were were not competitive in 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 you know the second half, and a lot of that was just being worn down on both sides of the ball. And this is the Big Ten; you need to play some you know big ball, big boy football, as we saw with all these running games and running backs in this conference. So, um, did they get bigger? Uh, obviously, always trying to get us more athletic, but uh, did they get bigger in this class? Uh, you know, I, that's that's a tough one to say right now because it's how how those guys develop. Um, I think the emphasis is more on size now. Um, you know, defensive line, offensive line. Um, they did add some size on the, on the offensive line, and you know, defensive line. Kamal Seymour is going to come in at 290 pounds. Um, you know, if they can keep him around there and 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 have that quality weight, that, that's a pretty sizable guy for for a defensive tackle. But I think the main problem in those games you, you talked about in the Big Ten. The Ohio State's, the Michigan State's was just, they were overpowered. They, they need to really up their strength. Kenneth Kirksey was starting also on defensive line at 275 pounds. You had Darius Hamilton, you know, less than that at 265. You know, it's just, just go by the numbers. They're not going to move guys that are 310, 320, what have you. So I think strength is going to be not just a primary concern this offseason, but into the future. So while the size and weights may make it make a little bit of a difference. I think the biggest difference is going to come with the strength. Um, you're going to have to get those 290 pound guys, but quality 290 pound guys, you know, how good will Kamal's 290 pounds be when he's a third year player? You know, I think that's the main focus for them. Cause the guys have even told me, you know, um, they were just too strong and moved us around. And uh, so I, I think that's going to be an area, a big area of emphasis this off season and through the spring and even into the summer. That's great. That's a great point. And, and, and you know, hopefully we talked about the, you know, Michigan State model of, of, of you know, maybe, you know, get some of these guys also that extra year redshirting and, uh, you know, then you're starting to see what they look like, you know, in four years when they actually are, are you know, just a junior or a senior, you know, instead of having to get on the field as quickly as, as sometimes, uh, you know, fans want to see guys get in right away. But, Bobby, I appreciate um, you uh, coming on the show and, uh, definitely, you know, want to get you on in the future and, and keep things talking about both, you know, recruiting as well as what's going on with the team, especially uh, around springtime and uh, spring practice starts. Definitely, Joe. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot. All right. So, uh, Sean, now, you know, I'm going to pick your brain because I know you uh, also 
uh, you know, right from the uh, NJ Varsity site and have a, a, a good knowledge of not only the players uh, that sign with Rutgers, but, of course, uh, the talent and other players in New Jersey. And I think, uh, you know, one thing when we look at the, the roster or the hometowns of, of the players of, of this Scholar Night class, uh, you know, people might be shocked to see, you know, it's all over the place. Uh, Florida, Maryland, uh, you know, Baltimore, just, uh, you know, Pennsylvania. You know, Tom, we've talked about Isaiah Thompson. Todd Johnson, he's a uh, California kid, a couple of kids from Brooklyn. So, you know, uh, Illinois this year. Uh, obviously, the exposure for the program, I think, helped uh, with some of these players. Uh, but, as we know, the key to the future of the program is securing the top talent in New Jersey, as we know, it's a state that has a lot of talent. So, um, you know, we're looking in, you know, we discussed this in the past, of course, uh, the, you know, didn't get a lot of the top players and that, you know, rival top 10, obviously were, you know, not, uh, but talking about in terms of the recruiting process of those players in that top 10, top 15, uh, how many of them were already committed before, you know, even a season star, let alone, you know, about the time of the season that Rutgers was proving itself on the field? Uh, well, I'm looking right now. It it seems like almost everyone that was in that top 15 were guys that, you know, had made a decision, um, you know, before the season had started. Uh, there were a couple guys that flipped during the season. Uh, well, you know, Jake Picard of Milbird after the season. Um, you know, Daquan Kelly, was committed to Syracuse. Then he, you know, he visited for the the Rutgers Penn State game, uh, and then Penn State offered him the next day. Uh, you know, that's a whole another story. Uh, you know, uh, yeah. And uh, Brandon Winbush was someone that was committed before the season, then then flipped to Notre Dame during the season. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, a lot of these guys, you know, recruiting just moves faster and faster now, um, and prospects really just want to you know, get it out the way as soon as possible so they can, you know, enjoy their senior seasons with their team or, you know, you see a lot of guys now rolling early when they can. So, um, you know, they definitely just try to, you know, get it going and, and get the process out the way. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think that's the point that I've been trying to you know, get across where, uh, you know, in terms of this class, uh, the – the finish to the class, I mean, helped to make this a successful class. Uh, you know, they it was a good class, uh, you know, and, and they did a good job of holding down uh, the poachers coming in at the end. You know, you, we, we've talked about a few of these players. Uh, you know, Adams, obviously, you know, Wisconsin, uh, you know, Michigan, come uh, uh, off Seymour, Penn State. Uh, you know, you know there were other players, uh, you know, that had looks from – uh, we mentioned Juwan Harris, Michigan State. You know, this is not, you know, going up against some of the names that we were used to when, when you know, the Big East. You know, it, it, this is other Big Ten teams and other big programs. Uh, you know, Marquise Ford, obviously a very unique story, in what happened to him in Tennessee. But he he was contacted behind the scenes by everybody, uh, you know, according right. to Florida State in Florida. You know, so, um, you know, I think that, one thing I want to, you know, to get that out is people understand that, you know, it's not that the season happens and then you're like, well, how come we, you know, we did good with it? How come we didn't get all these players from the Jays? Like, these guys already had decided prior to the season even happened. So now the momentum starts to shift into 
the 2016, which is the kids that are juniors now going into their senior year of football. And, of course, uh, you know, you could probably talk about it all day about the 2016 class. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, a lot of these guys uh, have made their uh, decisions early uh, in in there. Now, uh, just looking at the top, you know, 30 or so in, in uh, New Jersey, forget just Rutgers, but any players out there that, you know, you thought were, uh, uh, you know, kind of players that developed – a lot more than expected in the senior year and maybe surprises at, at whatever school they may ended up in? Um, you know, from from this list, uh, you know, one guy that – I mean, Tommy Hatton had a great year. He he always, you know, he was – I want to say he was underrated, maybe underappreciated, uh, but, you know, he definitely uh, – he'd been playing tackle early in his career for St. Joe's, but he showed the ability to be an interior offensive lineman, um, and he was kind of restricted to that. Because he, you know, size-wise, like he'll play center in North Carolina, and you know, he definitely had a, a really strong year. Um, a kid who I like, and a lot of other people don't don't talk too much about, is uh, Chris Chuganoff down in Montgomery. Uh, you know, down there uh, off of 206 uh, near Princeton, and uh, you know, he, he he rolled early at West Virginia. He had a ton of of um, you know, FCS uh, offers on the camp in West Virginia and got an offer on the spot there and committed. He rolled early. He had a great year down at Montgomery. He's not a he's not a, a huge kid. He's like, you know, bordering six two, a very accurate passer. Um, you know, he'll fit in perfectly in that offense in West Virginia that, that needs a starter. And he'll battle with the kid David Sills that was committed to USC uh for years. Um but, you know, Chris is someone who really, really had a strong senior season. Um, you know, you look at a kid like uh, Jamie Gournier that is going to Miami uh, from Red Bank Catholic. And I don't know if he'll play linebacker in college like he has for, um, for RBC, but, you know, he was, the you know, the leader of that defense to get them over the hump uh, versus St. Joe's Montvale and, and get the, the non-public group three title down to uh, Count Basie Field for uh, for the Caseys. So, I mean, there are definitely a few guys who really, really came on and had some strong senior seasons. Yeah, I mean, and, and again, it's just an, an impressive, uh, you know, when you look at at the state, and, and you know, uh, obviously the, you know, makeup Fitzpatrick uh, and, and Brandon Wimbush are probably the, the two uh, prize of, of recruits of the state, you know, Alabama, Notre Dame, but um, just total, total impressive list, you know, obviously Penn State did very well this year, and I think um, in terms of recruiting and, you know, what Seattle had done in terms of keeping away Penn State from a lot of uh, New Jersey for a few years. Uh, you know, if Rutgers take the class that they have right now, add in some of the players that went to Penn State, and they would have a very good good class. But we don't want to talk too much about Penn State. But, uh, you know, Michigan, you know, Georgia, as we mentioned, uh, you know, South Carolina, you know, just very high-quality schools. But, uh, you know, I, I even saw a list of, of all the signings for FBS, uh, and, and it was pretty impressive. I mean, what, uh, you know, how many players in total signed at FBS schools this year? Is it looks like it's you know well into the 30s or 40s, right? Yeah, it may, probably more than that. It's usually you know New Jersey averages around you know 50 guys a year uh, at the FBS level alone. Especially when you you add in some programs that have moved up to the level 
and recruit New Jersey heavily. You know, Old Dominion loves New Jersey, especially South Jersey. Uh, obviously, UMass has always, you know, been really uh, relevant around here recruiting in the area. Uh, you know, so some of those smaller schools on the East Coast, uh, you know, New Jersey is that state. It, it's almost, I guess you would say, like the Florida of the Northeast where if you can't recruit your other area and you need to go somewhere where you know you're going to get a good football player, you're going to go to New Jersey. Um, and it definitely increases the numbers of, of signees at the FBS level because of it. No, it's a great point, and and, and it's and not only that, it's it, when you look at what Michigan did in terms that, uh, uh, you know, here comes Jim Harbaugh, you know, way behind the recruiting game, very small class. You know, we mentioned, you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that they went after a Rutgers recruit. Now, it might have been a Florida player, but um, the point of attacking at Rutgers, and, of course, this past week, uh, uh, Chris Partridge, uh, uh, the Paramus Catholic coach ends up at Michigan as a coach, um, no doubt to help uh, Michigan recruit New Jersey. Now, obviously, Michigan recruit can recruit nationally everywhere, but it's not a coincidence that he ended up in Michigan. I, I would think. I mean, definitely. Um, you know, uh, Partridge will give them uh, some ties in New Jersey. You know, depending on who you talk to, he may not have the greatest relationships around here. But the the one thing you can't deny is that. You know, he can evaluate talent, he can relate to the kids, and he, he knows football. Um, and the Michigan name has has had the ability to sell themselves around the country. So I think, you know, especially in New Jersey, you know, the people that may have the issues with them, that, that Michigan name may be able to kind of smooth over any issues that there may be. So we'll see what happens. Right. So, you know, we talked to Michigan. We know Myers, a frequent visit, uh, Ohio State comes into here and and then Wisconsin traditionally uh, uh, recruits New Jersey and and obviously being in the Big Ten also opens up uh, Rutgers for for the other Big Ten schools. I'm, I'm sorry, New Jersey. So uh, a, a lot of town and a lot of uh, battle battleground for um, Rutgers in the Big Ten. But I think on the flip side, and, and this is probably something that the staff is working on. You know, what we saw in the football field with Ohio State winning the national championship, and then you saw Wisconsin beating Auburn in in the bowl game. You saw a good, uh, you know, Michigan State come, you know, finishing in the top five. Uh, You know, Penn State's obviously on the rise. This Big Ten is on the move, and the Big Ten East, you know, could potentially rival the SEC West and, and be one of the best divisions in college football. So now you actually start to recruit players and say, hey, look, you know, all right, you know, uh, you know, maybe you didn't remember at, at Ohio State or, or where you now go to Rutgers and not only, you know, be in the Big Ten, but play against the best programs in the country. No, uh, definitely. It's it's just another selling point. I mean, obviously a lot of teams within the conference are recruiting the state, uh, but, it, you know, at least for Rutgers, now you can say, hey, you know, we're in the Big Ten, we're in – like you mentioned, one of the toughest, if not the toughest, division uh, in college football, and you can you can win a national championship coming out of this division, as you saw uh, Ohio State in the first college football playoff this year. So I'll, I'll ask you the same question that I asked Bobby. Uh, um, you know, now that it's all said and done with this class, you've seen a lot of these players. Uh, you know, I, I guess you know the New Jersey guys, uh, especially uh, Bobby, had a great point that a lot of these guys have some 
you know, different parts of, you know, of, of both the, the country, but, you know, also the region. Um, do you have any particular favorites or, or, or you know, sleepers or, or guys that, you know, you're kind of excited to see? Um, I mean, there, there's a few in this class. Uh, you know, I, I'm curious to see what happens with uh, Charles Norway once he, you know, gets uh, in the hands of a uh, Jeremy Cole in that strength and conditioning program. I mean, he's, you know, he, he runs so well, you know, inside, outside the tackle, only at 172 pounds. So, I, you know, and, and Rutgers is in a good position. They have so much depth at running back. You know, as long as everyone stays healthy next year, they can just stash Norway in the weight room. You know, all he has to do is go to class and go to the weight room and go to the dining hall and, and gain some weight. And they have another really good running back uh, on their hands. Uh, you know, another guy who um, I came to like quite a bit, from Maryland, uh, Rondell Carter. You know, he was a you know a bit of an underrated guy in the school he came from, Longreach, which traditionally you know wasn't a good football program, so they would get overlooked by a lot of the schools that recruited Maryland. But I actually saw Rondell the the summer going into his junior year when their team came up to the Rutgers seven hundred seven, and you know he looked really good there, and I followed him, and you know in Rutgers was following him for a while too. And, you know, I think they got a pretty good football player that has, you know, he could play either side of the football, you know, with Croft leaving, he's going to get more of a look at tight end possibly, but he could stay outside defensive end and have an impact there. So he's someone that, um, you know, I think fans will be pleasantly surprised with, with how he plays. You know, it's, it's a great point about Snorri. And, again, bringing about that importance of, uh, you, know, you know, perhaps getting – some of these players that extra year to redshirt, especially as the team needs to get bigger, you know, just, you know, the difference between a, when a player is, you know, 20, 21 year old, uh, as a, as a junior, uh, you know, it makes, and, and senior, it, it just makes a difference that extra year. So uh, we'll see how a lot of that, uh, uh, you know, shakes out. So now, um, in terms of, of, you know, the recruiting process, uh, you know, you mentioned this dead period um, that takes place. Um, but once that is over, uh, I guess it's full swing right into the uh, 2016 uh, class. Yeah, I mean, I mean, technically now, even with the dead period, it's really just, you know, prospects can't uh, have in-person contact with college coaches. You know, coaches aren't out on the road and seeing kids in person. But they can still, you know, I think the – they can have that contact, you know, social media, uh, telephone. I think the prospect has to initiate that contact, but they can still talk to coaches and, you know, guys can still get offered and, and you know, still get recruited. But once the evaluation period starts back up, then the coaches can be back on the road, can, you know, see kids in person, you know, get an idea of their height and weight, you know, see them work out. And that's, you know, for the kids whose recruiting is kind of on a low right now, you know, that's when it really really may pick up when a college coach gets a chance to meet them in person and, and get the dimensions, you know, physically and things of that nature. Now, you know, we've uh, – the moment of truth or as, as Rutgers starts to focus on the 2016, uh, uh, you know, uh, there was three players in particular that uh, jumped out of that course, that class uh, – Kareem Walker, uh, the running back who ended up committing already to Ohio State on on the night of the national championship. Uh, then there was uh, there is uh, quarterback uh, Jared Garantano, um for Burton Catholic, and and of course the defensive tackle uh, Rashawn Gary. Um, 
Tell me a little bit uh, about uh, Garantano. I, I know he was expected to make an early decision. Um, we're hearing that uh, he may be putting that off. Um, is, is, is that the case right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say something for, uh, you know, our subscribers, uh, but, you know, um, you know, what I was hearing, actually, he spoke briefly with his father, Jim, uh, tonight. And, you know, it's funny, Jared has put out about three different months he wanted to commit, and each time it seemed to get pushed back. Uh, and I think Jared had insinuated something similar on Twitter. But he's, um, I think they're going to take some time to push it back a, a couple more months. So I, I wouldn't see anything sooner than April for, for him to make a final decision. And, you know, that's that's something that, you know, would seem to work in Rutgers' favor because, you know, the the rumor is going around Bergen County uh, that he, you know, he really likes Ohio State. Uh, so, you know, anytime when you have a prospect leading one way and they're able to prolong their process, it just gives you more time to work on that prospect and, and bring them back, you know, uh, closer to, you know, liking your school. So that's, that's something that would definitely work towards Rutgers' favor. Now, in terms of uh, his recruitment, uh, you know, Ohio State is obviously, you know, the favorite, I guess, you know, by, by many. Um, Rutgers is obviously in the picture, you know, especially being the legacy. Um, who else is still there? Is Oklahoma still there? Uh, any other programs that are, are still in the picture? You know, it's it remains to be seen with Oklahoma um, when um, Stoops fired the two offensive coordinators. Uh, they hired Lincoln Riley from Eastern Carolina, you know, when, when Riley was hired, uh, I saw Jarrett two weeks ago, I want to say, and up to that point he hadn't heard from Riley at all yet. And, you know, maybe it was because, you know, they were trying to tie up the 2015 class, a lot of stuff going on, but, but nonetheless he hadn't had contact with the new offensive coordinator. So at that point uh, he had eliminated Oklahoma and Tennessee was in the top three. Uh, you know, Jarrett's father, um, you know, Bush Jones, Tennessee coach, was the GA at Rutgers when, uh, when, when Jim was there, so they had a relationship. And their offense coordinator was a burned Catholic grad, but um, uh, but Jakin, the former offensive coordinator, is left to go uh, be a quarterback coach in the NFL. So, you know, that's another relationship and another coaching issue that probably throws uh, Jarrett's decision in flux a little bit. But, I mean, definitely Rutgers and Ohio State are factors. I mean, there were some other schools that were, were waiting around and were, like, right outside the top three. I know that they've been in contact with Stanford. is one of those schools that hasn't offered yet, but they typically want to see kids on campus before they offer. So with him prolonging the process a bit, I wouldn't be surprised to see some new schools work their way into the top list. And well, yeah, I just don't know what's going on in Tennessee, but Butch Jones is just killing it right now at this point. So yeah. um, it's it, it that's that's something that's uh, interesting interesting uh, development uh, uh, there. Now, um, how much of this do you think maybe also even had in play with the fact that you know I know it was known that Ohio State was bringing in two other quarterbacks, but um, you know if you take a a, a stance that you're going to wait a little bit, uh, you know, there could be domino effects involved. Uh, so Rutgers is also recruiting uh, a quarterback from Maryland, Antoine Haskins. Now, where is he in his recruitment? I mean, is he looking to um, commit early? I know Rutgers is in play with, with Maryland uh, potentially being the leader, and I think, you know, we've heard that he has interest in Ohio State too, as it seems like any top quarterback in the country at this point. Yeah, I mean, Dwayne is a, a bit more um, 
you know, discreet with the process versus Jarrett. Uh, he actually, it was a big week for him. Uh, Alabama offered him this week. Oklahoma offered him this week as well. You know, he, he has a lot of suitors. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, Rutgers is in a good place. Uh, he visited two weeks ago alongside his best friend in Rutgers commit, Muhammad Jabby, uh, and they had a really good visit. He's obviously a, a Jersey native, you know, but, but Maryland is doing really well there, and they have their own, you know, stay-home movement that they're working on. But, you know, with Dwayne, it's it's not as clear as with Jared who he really likes. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him try to take some more visits to some of the schools that are further out that are recruiting him. You know, Texas has always been linked in there as well. But, you know, with quarterback recruiting, they – it's when, when when one domino falls, then the next one goes. You know, most schools have one spot, uh, and you can even see it with Rutgers. It seems like they're really, you know, they really want one of those two guys, and they're really holding off on offering any other 2016 quarterbacks until one of those two guys decide, or until they have their guy, or they don't get either of those guys. Um, so, uh, Dwayne will probably choose sometime in the spring. Uh, so we're we're trying to monitor and see which direction he goes in. Well, it's interesting, though. Again, you know, now I didn't realize Oklahoma is involved for both of these players. So, um, you know, again, I, 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 you know, take a step back, you know, as, as a Rutgers fan, these schools that, that you're competing with, uh, you know, just the traditional palace houses are pretty crazy. You mentioned, um, uh, you know, Texas. I, you know, Texas also got a, uh, a flip from Florida State and, and Kai Lox. And so, you know, maybe perhaps that plays into – um, the thought process there, and uh, you know, and as you mentioned, Maryland, like Rutgers, lead to the Big uh, Ten, finished uh, seven to five in the season, and you know they're trying to also commit or convince players from from their state, and, and Maryland also has a very kind of similar to New Jersey too, where you have talent in the state, um, a lot of it concentrated at, in, in the top parochial schools, and um, you know, keeping those kids at home is is a priority. Uh, too. So, um, what are we hearing in terms of um, Rashawn Gary? I get the feeling that he'll probably be, a, you know, he's kind of a little less out there in, you know, in terms of the social media and, uh, you know, may probably just take his time and go into the season before he makes uh, his decision. Yeah, I mean, typically you see with a lot of defensive tackles, they, they tend to take their time. I mean, it's when you, when you look at, you know, position on the football field that is, that is so coveted and are, are game changers. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously a really good quarterback is a big thing, but defensive tackles too, um, especially athletes like Rashawn. You know, he's he's set on record. You know, he's trying to narrow down to 20 and 15 schools. You know, um, you know I think a lot of Rutgers fans are, are worried now with, with Partridge going to Michigan. And I think, you know, I think he got an offer just before that from Michigan. But, um you know they they obviously have that tie there. Um, I don't think it means he's he's automatically going there. But you know you know part of the reason why Rashawn ended up transferring to Prams Catholic was to play under Partridge, who's known the known defensive guy. Um, you, know, so, you know so that relationship is there. But you know a lot of you know big schools are, are getting involved there. Um, uh, I think Stanford just offered recently, but he, he hasn't really seen a lot of campuses. I think he's only been to Rutgers, Maryland. And, and Penn State, maybe Ohio State or something like that. So I know him and his mother are, they want to see some more schools and, you know, make as educated a decision as possible. So he, he doesn't seem to be in, in a rush compared to the quarterbacks to, to make a decision. I think he'll he'll take his time and, you know, and, and try to see as much as possible. Um, so it, it could be like summertime uh, when he makes a decision. Yeah, and I think, as you mentioned, that's probably a byproduct of the position. You know, obviously with a quarterback, 
can only have one quarterback on the field, and right. you can only have X amount of quarterbacks within your playing time era. And, you, you know, a 300-pound athletic defensive tackle, four- or five-star player, he can, you know, commit you know, August 1st, they have a spot for him. So, you, you know, I think that's probably why there's not a rush on, on his end. And, and and I think you probably know better than, than where I, I get, you know, where he's a little bit more uh, reserved and kind of, you know, playing the game on, on, on Twitter and things like that. So uh, we'll probably have to wait some time uh, for his commitment. Uh, now, in I'm hearing also that we're also getting uh, – uh, Offers out for 2018. So, what are these? These are going to be would be freshmen that are going into their sophomore year. Is that correct? Yes, that that is correct. Um, you know, Rutgers did get out, and they they've been doing that more under um under Coach Flood. I didn't see it as much with Shiano, but you know, you saw they they offered you know Garantano before he entered high school. Rashawn Gary had his offer before he entered high school. Um, you know, Jordan Fuller, you know, who's now in this 2016 class, had his offer before he entered high school. You know, so, you know, Rutgers is, is looking and seeing if they see someone, you know, the, the coaches project is, is going to be a stud down the line. Even if they've had, you know, limited varsity time there, they're saying, you know what, we want them, we're going to offer. Um, and they did issue a few uh, 2018 offers uh, recently. The quarterback, Alan Walters from Paramus Catholic, who will assume the role of starter this coming year as Willie Hansen graduated. Um, you know, they offered, there's actually twins, and I'm not sure, I, I may have the wrong twin at St. Peter's Prep, but uh, you have Mark, you have uh, Justin and Jason, uh, Admiral Lola, um, and I probably messed that up, but one of the two twins was offered by Rutgers. I think the other twin will eventually be offered by Rutgers as well. Um, they're both really good football players down there in Jersey City. Um, and then there was Don Bosco, freshman. Yes, he transferred to Prams Catholic. Name is escaping my mind, but he also received the offer from Rutgers as well. Um, you know, so it's and these are guys that had you know limited varsity time, but the time that they played, they they show that they're going to be elite guys. So Rutgers, you know, got in early and, you know, and wanted to make sure these kids knew that they had a place at their home state school. Um, you know, an interesting point that you brought up about this staff uh, offering, uh, you know, very early. Now, obviously, Garantano, Gary offered as basically entering into high school, um, but here we are, you know, three years later, and they are the top players of the class and national recruits. So, um, you know, it might have raised some, some eyebrows that they were doing this at the time. Uh, yeah, I think Garrett Town was actually still in eighth grade. Uh, and But uh, they were obviously right. So, uh, you know, Flood has obviously shown the ability and, and his staff, I should say, to, to identify talent. Um, and they are making these kind of... Uh, you know, targeted recruitments earlier. What do you say is some of the biggest, now that we have a little bit of more of a body of work, uh, definitely I think Flood learned a lesson last year about, you know, allowing some of the bigger players to take visits. Uh, you know, when he had all those commitments, I think it was, you know, playing the hard line uh, was an approach that they took. We know it didn't work. Um, this year they've learned from that. Uh, but, it seems like Rutgers does go after, uh, a, it's a, in, in essence, a different 
broader, also athletic type of player. Uh, while Shiano, of course, brought in a lot of players, but always was looking for that star, that four-star, you know, player. Now, so is so is Flood now. But what, what do you see in terms of a difference in approaching recruiting from uh, this year and last year for Flood, and then maybe even Flood and Shiano? Um, well, this year, last year for for Flood, um, I think they just maybe worked a bit harder. Not saying they were lazy at all on the trail last year, but now you're seeing you know more coaches involved with with a prospect instead of just you know one guy. I you know I remember with uh, talking to Adonis Jennings and and Justin Heron and their respective commitments. I know Adonis mentioned to me that the only coach he really had a relationship with was Darrell Wilson recruiting his area. I mean, he obviously he, he knew Matt Simon, who was a receivers coach at the time, but it wasn't like he was heavily involved in that. With Heron, um, he was recruited by uh, Coach Warbo, and, you know, Ron Prince was involved. But they both left, and, you know, and it then allowed Wake Forest to kind of sneak in there and, and steal the commitment, you know. So now uh, you see that just a lot of different, you know, multiple coaches involved with guys. And definitely you'll have just the area recruiter at least, and you'll have the position coach on there uh, involved in the recruitment. And then, you know, the addition of um, Phil Galliano, who, you know, was a position coach, you know, at Rutgers, and he was, you know, a pretty good recruiter. Uh, you know, gives you another guy in there as well who was involved within the process uh, in helping to, you know, maintain these commitments that they had. Um, then you talk Shiano versus Flood. Uh, I know my boss, John Otterstein, mentioned it quite a bit recently that it seemed like Shiano went for more of the, the freak athlete at times that wasn't as established as a football player versus, you know, flood going for more, you know, kids that didn't that don't have the greatest dimensions but they're but they're really good football players and they still have upside. Uh so, you know, that's you know, the most visible thing uh that we see thus far. And also, you know, and maybe it's the big ten, but but being more open and reaching in other areas, you know, you never saw real you know, Rutgers going into into Georgia or, or going into Texas or especially when you look at quarterbacks uh, with Shiano, he seemed to want to get a guy like from the immediate area, no matter what, and that hurt them sometimes. Some of the commitments they took, uh, you know, versus Flood, you know, they they were willing to branch out of the traditional state of Rutgers if they if they needed to find a quarterback, and they they went you know in other areas that weren't traditional recruiting grounds, you know, to bring in guys. So you know, I think he's you know a bit more open, you know, in, in stepping out of the traditional comfort zone to get players that they feel uh, can contribute at Rutgers now. All right. So I'm, I'm going to give you a tough one because you, you, we're talking about the most important position on the field, obviously quarterback. Uh, um, you know, now you know Gary Nova, uh, he's gone. The competition will take place uh, in, in the spring between. Um, uh, Redding, who is a LSU transfer, a California guy, and, um, obviously a lot of them from New York, and, and um, even every senior gets in there as a Michigan guy. Uh, so that's a great point in terms of, of that. Now, so Rutgers here is recruiting at the his quarterback position, James Garantano, who's that New Jersey guy. You got Haskins from Maryland, obviously has some New Jersey ties, but um, and I forget the quarterback that, that Davis offered uh, from Georgia. Is that right? What's his name? Well, they they haven't offered him yet, but um, one of the guys they are looking at is David Moore, who's from uh, Alpharetta, uh, Alpharetta, which is outside of Atlanta. Um, you know, he he has a few other Power Five offers 
you know, but he's one of the guys Rutgers is, is taking a close look at right now uh, as a possible, I guess you would say, plan B at the position. So, so now, you know, and it's tough recruiting at this position, and you're also trying to manage relationships with the players that you recruit, knowing that everyone knows that there's a particular player who's number one on the list, and you may be a little bit more down the line. Um, we mentioned that the the, the possibility that, uh, you know, Garrett may take a little longer time in his commitment. Um while that some may say, well, if he was ready to go to Ohio State, he would have done it. But then again, on the flip side, if you were going to just stay home, you would also stay home already and do it either. So bringing back the, the lessons learned from the 2014 class, do you think there's a point where maybe fraud and the staff will say, well, you know, obviously he's welcome here, but, you know, we're going to have to start going hard at other quarterbacks. No, you know what? I think I think they're in a good place right now um, because with with quarterback recruiting, you know, especially if if you're not familiar with a guy, you you want to see him throw lives, and it's you know I think that for the quarterback position, that spring evaluation period is the, the most important um, because that's when you know you see uh, Coach Friesen, you know, obviously offensive coordinator, also coaches the quarterbacks. He gets on the road. He he goes and visits the guys that they've targeted at the position that, that look good on film, and he gets a chance to see him throw to some targets in person, you know, see their throwing motion, you know, see the mechanics, and, and really evaluate and, and, and physically break them down. Because it's hard to offer a quarterback, you know, until you see them throw in person. So, you know, they, they are familiar. So you're, 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 you're talking about actual, like, spring you know, these camps and, and spring, you know, what do they call them, combines. Is, is that what you're talking well, about? No, no, not even camps. When 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 we talked about, you know, this the you know, the spring evaluation period and they can actually go to the high school campuses and, and see prospects in person. A lot of schools they'll have workouts for their prospects. So you know, they'll go out on the field and they'll you know, they'll throw, they'll throw the football, they'll run some routes, you know, and, and work out in front of these coaches. Uh, usually that coach can't say anything to the player, but he, he, can obviously, he can obviously watch, you know, get an idea of, of what that player can do. And especially for quarterbacks, it's a good chance for these coaches to see, you know, what I saw on film actually equates to what I see in person or it doesn't. Uh, so, you know, especially for any, you know, quarterback coach around the country, they want to see everything in person, mechanics, the drops, you know, the arm strength, it's a chance to see that all, you know, in person and get the most, you know, uh, true evaluations possible. And if, if you haven't had a guy in your camp before that or you didn't see them play live, that's the most important part. And, and you, you'll notice that's when you see a lot more quarterback offers go out for some of the guys that didn't start until their junior year and they had great years, but these college coaches didn't visit them before then. So, you know, how that ties into the Rutgers situation is that, they know Haskins well. They know Garantano well. They've, they've seen all the throws and all that stuff. You know, in the event they don't get those two, and then there are some other guys that know they've seen in person, but, you know, they're both probably going to decide around the springtime, I would assume. If they don't get either of those guys, then that's a chance for, you know, Friedman to get on the road, you know, evaluate some of these other quarterbacks closely, and then, you know, pinpoint some other guys that they like as well. So it's they're not in a bad place to be right now, in all honesty. Uh, that's good. Really good insight in terms of of the actual uh, coaches getting out there and seeing uh, you know these high school players you know in in workouts almost like you know 
you know, uh, we brought up like NFL little mini NFL combines. That that's pretty pretty interesting stuff there. So keeping with the quarterback position, um, uh, you know, tell me a little bit like uh, you know Michael Dara who's coming in with this class. Uh, you know, how did he do? You know, in some of these combines or some of these throwing sessions. Um, you know, I don't know if you had a chance to see him in person, but uh, you know, how is his stuff in terms of throwing the ball? Well, you know, let, let's go back to, you know, how Mike, you know, ended up becoming a Scarlet Knight. Um, and the Rutgers had him in camp going into his uh, going into his junior year. And, um, you know, he he blew it up at the Rutgers camp. And at that time, uh, the, the current quarterback commit in the, in the class before, uh, Tyler Wiegers, was also there. And, you know, Dare was phenomenal at that camp. You know, Rutgers coach had him there for the whole week. And they, you know, they offered that week. And, you know, I think a lot of it, too, you know, Uyghurs, they didn't want him to be worried about this younger guy who he was throwing side-by-side against. And, you know, most people that were there were saying Dare was better than Uyghurs. They didn't want him to be too worried about, you know, this other guy. So they they accepted Dare's commitment, but it was was considered a silent commitment. Um, You know, so Rutgers did a great job of keeping that under the radar. And the kid, too. You know, the kid did a great job of not saying anything for a year. Um, although he he was committed, it, you can imagine how hard it is to want to be outward about, you know, going to this college. Um, but, you know, he was committed. And, um, you know, so he, you know, a lot of schools didn't come up and evaluate him until after they found out, you know, about the Rutgers commitment. But he didn't do any of the camps, like the Rivals camp, because he had uh, injured his throwing arm. Uh, so we didn't see him there. However, we saw him later that summer at the, the Rutgers shootout, the Rutgers 7-on-7, where he led Elmwood Park to the final eight. And, you know, Mike has, uh, like I mentioned in our spotlight video, he has such a live arm. And the what separates the good quarterbacks from the great quarterbacks is be able to, you know, control the football and throw people open. Like, you watch the NFL, and you see guys like Aaron Rodgers, and they're throwing to different spots and only where their receivers can get the ball. And I see a lot of that in Mike. He can manipulate the football and, and put it in the spots where all his guys can get it. And in that 707 setting, it was so, you know, it was so great because they were playing against some really athletic teams. And I, I got a chance to watch their full game against St. Peter's Prep, uh, which is, you know, the, one of the best teams in New Jersey mm-hmm. last year. has a ton of athletes. And Mike was able to really, you know, get some kids who weren't considered superior athletes to, you know, get them open to make plays against this phenomenal St. Peter's team. Um, so Mike had some of those intangibles that you, you can't teach at the quarterback position. And, and, and Sal's also like a kid that really wanted to come to Rutgers, so um, definitely will probably end up being a fan favorite and uh, and a player to look out for in, in the future here. Oh, definitely. Um, he's a great kid, too. Um, great kid. You know, he's, like you say, he's going to be someone, him and Nakia, you know, very similar personalities, both outgoing guys. Um, and they're going to be they're going to be guys that Rutgers fans um you know, they want to root for it. I meant to joke with Mike. I passed, um, you know, through Elwood Park every day on the way to work, and it seemed like on signing day the uh, Marcel Tissue Factory had a lot more smoke coming out the stack. I don't know if that's coincidence because of the signing day for Mike, but, you know, he's definitely, um, you know, Gary Nova's an Elwood Park guy. He didn't go to the high school there, but but Mike is probably, you know, the, the pride of Elwood Park, I would say, right now. Sean, really good stuff. I really appreciate it. Some good things, uh, you know, learning about, you know, just, you know, we know we're 
basketball and some of the other sports, you know, how, how these, you know, AAU teams and things, and, and obviously with football, you can't have that. You know, you, you, just, you don't have an AAU, you know, football team that you play on the side with, but, you know, uh, there is all this seven-on-seven seven and these workouts and things that go in also um, for these players, uh, you know, uh, and, and it was it was it was great talking earlier in the show of uh, Mr. Blue and Sam um, Blue's dad and you know who was a for a basketball player and you know coming onto the scene late that you know so much that goes involved in, in this recruiting process. So I uh, appreciate your insight and having you come on. Really, really good show. And Sean, we'll have to get you back on um, you know later and uh, talk more about the uh, 2016 kids. Be, be you know beyond. Obviously, uh, the, the top three that we uh, always talk about. Oh, definitely, Jerry. Sounds like a plan. All right. Thanks again. Appreciate you coming on. All right. Have a good night. You too. Thank you. And that uh, wraps up a, a really good show. I think I got to say one of the uh, uh, most enjoyable shows I had. And, uh, appreciate Sean, Bobby, uh, as I said, uh, Sam Blue Senior coming on, giving the parents' perspective. Uh, International Signing Day, and, uh, you know, a very fun day uh, for, for and I really congratulate all the players, the Rutgers players who, who make up this class, who are, um, and I still say so many of the out-of-state players who are going to be the bridge for this program um, as it, it kind of moves from, uh, you know, a Big East type of team into a Big Ten team, and, uh, you know, when, when the Jersey players start to buy in, it'll be because of these players who came and, and, and succeeded. You know, I mentioned Josh Hicks in last year's class and, you know, putting up 200 yards in a bowl game, you know, a Florida guy that stuck with his recruitment while, you know, many of the other New Jersey players went elsewhere. So, but again, you know, this is tough. It's tough decisions. You can never fall kids from going uh, and making the best decisions for themselves. So congratulations to, to all those players. You know, I mentioned 50-something kids that end up in FDS schools, uh, you know, it's impressive thing. So I uh, appreciate talking. And this is our youth and Jerry. You can check me on Twitter at our youth and Jerry. And uh, we'll do this uh, uh, still in the off season, a lot more to talk about. So we'll try to get this, uh, keep this going every Thursday night. Thanks for listening.